Well, good morning, church. Welcome. Uh, so good to be with you. My name is Sam. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Uh, Pastor Darren is here somewhere. Please don't raise your hand. I don't want to know where you are. He's in here somewhere. Um, but he uh, took this Sunday off. Uh, he's spending some time with his family, his new uh, grandson and his mother's in town. Uh, so we're, we're really thankful that he gets to do that uh, and be uh, a grandfather this weekend. Um, and so, <clears throat> uh, like I said, I've been on staff uh, here uh, for about four years now, a little over four years. Uh, but my wife and I um, have been in this church for a little over a decade. Um, in that time, we've had four children. Um, the oldest is 12. The youngest is six. Um, Before that, I worked for the Department of the Air Force. Before that, I was in the Air Force. Um, And so I have lived um, 38 years, um, and I've spent most of that time trying to figure out how to be an adult. Anybody else have that experience? Yeah, right? Like it just... It doesn't seem to be a thing that just comes naturally. And in fact, um, it wasn't until a, a couple of years ago that I really felt like an adult at all. Um, but I'll tell you, this year, and uh, the last few months specifically, um, I have done maybe the most adult thing that I have ever done. We are building a house. <clears throat> We're very excited. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, we've lived in our current home for uh, like 13 years. It's 1,100 square feet. There's six of us and a dog. Um, we're very thankful that God has led us to this um, and thankful for what um, he's going to do. Uh, we believe that he's going to really use this new home uh, to let us do a greater ministry uh, individually with families and, and having people over and that kind of stuff. We're very, very excited uh, that God has opened this door. But I'll tell you, it, it's a very adult thing, and, and, and it's the most adult decision I've ever made. One, it's the most money I've ever spent in my whole life. Um, two, um, it's a very adult decision because I didn't approach it the way that we've approached other decisions in the past. You know, I mean, if I'm honest with you, um, I didn't think through getting married uh, completely what that implied, all the implications of that. I knew that I loved this girl. I knew that I, I wanted to spend the rest of my life with this girl, but I didn't really think through, well, what's it going to be like having children with this person? What's it going to be like raising children? What's it going to be like uh, moving across the country? What, what is our life going to be like all of these years down the road? I mean, I just didn't think through it all, I was like, no, I, I love her. Of course I'm going to marry her. And of course we're going to be happy for the rest of our lives with, with no effort whatsoever. It's going to be awesome, <laughs> right? I mean, that's just kind of how we approach things when we're young. And, and then it came time and, and she felt the urge and, and she's like, hey, let's have kids. And I'm like, sure, that sounds good. <laughs> Didn't really think through that either. Just kind of said yes, you know, and it just kind of happened. And, um, and, and it's interesting because, you know, at 19 years old, I had joined uh, the Air Force. And shortly after that, uh, I got sent overseas. And so I spent some time uh, at that young age, you know, defending our country in, in another country, uh, you know, across the ocean. And we uh, moved out here and we had children and we bought a house and all of these things happened. But it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I really felt like I was adulting well, <clears throat> And I think most of us have had a similar experience, but this, this experience of buying this house really uh, kind of opened my eyes to what it means to, to adult well, to really to do it well. And the reason is because it was such a huge purchase, it was such a huge deal for us that we really had to stop and think through all the implications of it. Well, how is this going to impact our budget? And how is this going to impact all the other things that we want to do with our family because it's impacting our budget? How is this going to work uh, to serve the needs of our children? You know, we have two um, children who are on the autism spectrum. Does this house serve their needs? Um, What about our daughter, who's the only girl? Uh, Does this serve her needs? What about Wesley? 
Enough said. What about Wesley? I mean, Wesley's my six-year-old, you know? I mean, like, is this going to meet the needs of our family? What about the neighborhood? Is this the right area of town for us to be in? What about the schools? What's the implication uh, for their education going forward? Like, all of these things. And we actually thought through them and made reasonable decisions, and now we're continuing to make reasonable decisions to stay on that course of action. I spent most of yesterday cleaning out 13 years worth of junk in my garage, right? I'm continuing to pursue this decision. And so really, it feels very, very adult to me in a way that nothing before has. And I kind of stopped and thought, man, how did I, how did I figure out how to do this? (laughs) Because I don't feel like an adult, (laughs) But we're doing pretty good on this one. And, and I realize that so often when we do it right, when we, when we adult well, when we parent well, a lot of times we've done it by accident. Like we've just kind of stumbled into it and just kind of accidentally figured out how to do it well. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be great if we had a set of instructions? Like it, wouldn't it be great if, we just, if it was made clear to us what it looks like to, to do this well, to adult well. Unfortunately for us, in the book of Ephesians, Paul gives us exactly that. As we've been reading through the book of Ephesians and studying that on Sundays, uh, and, and Darren's been preaching through that, uh, we've seen a lot of really, um, really cool stuff that, that Paul has shown us through that book. And in this next section, uh, we're going to see uh, what I call spiritual adulting, uh, where Paul really outlines for us what it looks like to grow up as a Christian, to grow up in the church, to be a mature adult follower of Jesus. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn uh, to the book of Ephesians uh, chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put it up on the screen. Now, we're going to back up a little bit, and if some of this looks familiar, we read a little bit of this last week, but in the Greek um, and also in the ESV that we're reading out of this morning, this is one run-on sentence, right? This is classic Paul, um, where he just gets really excited about something and just keeps talking and talking and talking and doesn't ever finish his sentence. I have no idea what that's like, by the way, to be Paul um, and to get really excited and passionate. That's never happened to me. So <clears throat> we'll try and, and emulate Paul today. But, but it's all run, one run-on sentence, so we have to kind of back up. Otherwise, we're jumping in the middle and it doesn't make sense. So here we go. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. Here's what he says. And he, meaning Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now we're going to stop right here. We talked about this a little bit last week. The gifts that God gives, the the gifts that that Christ received from God and then turned around and gave to his people, the empowerment that comes with the Holy Spirit, that that we receive these gifts from God in order to build his kingdom, in order to work in the church, in order to work in the world, in order to grow the kingdom. And I just want to say just a couple things really quickly about this. Um, It's tempting for us in our culture, through our perspective, to read this verse, verse 11, and see these um, as offices, that, that he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers as offices. These are the people who work in the church. These are people like me who get paid to be on staff at a church, except that I don't think that's entirely accurate. I think, yes, that's partially true, but also these are gifts that have been given. And so the people who teach in the church, whether it's me or, or George, George is here this morning, George Pernia teaches um, in our church, whether it's me or Steve, Steve teaches in our church, there's a whole bunch of other teachers, Tom teaches, Wayne teaches, there's a whole bunch of teachers who've been given that gift in our church. And so really the focus is on the gift. The gift is given to equip all the saints 
It's not a, hey, I'm up here and God has given me so I'm giving back to you. It's God has given all of us and all of us are using our gifts to build one another up so that all of the saints, me, Darren, all of the staff, all of you guys, all of us included, so the entire body can be built up. And so that's what those gifts are for and here's what it looks like. So Paul's going to go on and tell us, hey, this is what happens. Gifts are given so that the saints can work in the ministry to build each other up so that the church is built up. And here's what it looks like. Go back. Uh, We're not there yet. And so picking up there in verse, uh, I believe it's 13, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in him every way, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All right, so that's the whole passage. We're going to look at all of that today. I know that's a lot. It's a little bit overwhelming. And again, it's Paul. He gets excited. uh, And then it's hard to follow, right? So we're going to go back a little bit, and we're going to break this down. What Paul is saying here is that these gifts have been given to equip the saints for the works of ministry so that the church can be built up until we reach these attributes. Now, we think about becoming an adult, and and I think that we have in our heads certain attributes of what an adult does or doesn't do. For example, um, there's some of us have an idea of how an adult should dress. Okay, if you find my children today, most likely you will find my son, uh, Benjamin, and there will probably be holes in his jeans and he's wearing his favorite t-shirt. Doesn't matter how clean it is doesn't matter how holy it might be, right? That's what, if if I let him choose, that's what he's going to pick because he's picking not based on reasonable decisions but based on what he wants, right? So we think of adults and we think, hey, there's some things about adults, right? Uh, Adults dress a certain way. I, on purpose, did not tuck my shirt in today because we were talking about being an adult and I didn't want it to be too obvious that I was trying to be one, okay? I'm trying to be young today. And let the word speak for itself, okay? All right, so, um, but we have these ideas, right? Financial stability, a certain level of financials, maybe a career, like we're on a career path. We're not just bouncing from job to job. We have these ideas about what the attributes are of being an adult, but Paul says for us right here, these, this is what it is. To be a spiritual adult, these are the attributes that we are to attain to, that we are to uh, achieve, that we're to reach out and, and get a hold of, right? And so what he says is that we're being built up until we reach attained to the unity of the faith. Now, this gets confusing because if you're paying attention, you know that just a few verses ago in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul said that we are maintaining unity. Well, how can we maintain it a few verses ago if we're just now attaining it? I, I mean, how does that work? And, and how do we, like, I, you know, I thought that, that as we've been talking about this, that we received unity from Christ, that God gave us unity with one another in Christ, that we had found it, that it was complete. Well, well I, I think um, that my children are going to help you out with an illustration this morning. Not literally, I'm not going to invite them up here, that would be disastrous. Um, but, but a story... <laughs> From, from my son um, and my daughter, okay, just comparing the two. My son, Wesley, he's six years old. I love Wesley. He is amazing. I mean, I love all of my children, but there's a certain thing about Wesley, not that makes me love him more. In fact, that makes me a little bit more infuriated sometimes. Um, but Wesley, um, being the youngest, right, if I tell Wesley, Wesley, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go clean your room. 
Okay. So first, what's going to happen is he's six, and we're going to have to tell him three or four times that that's what he's supposed to do, because he'll go up and get distracted and start playing with toys. But once I get him on the right path of cleaning, if I say, Wesley, I want you to clean your room, here's what he's going to do. He's going to find all the toys. He's going to pick all of the toys up and put them in the toy bin. he's hopefully going to find all the dirty clothes and pick those up and put them in the hamper. And maybe, if we're really lucky, he's going to take the bedding that he kicked off of his bed in the middle of the night and pile it up and at least put it in a pile on his bed, right? And to Wesley, that's clean. Is the room clean? Well, sort of. I mean, sort of, right? Like, the stuff is picked up. In Wesley's mind, it's done. Like, we're, we're good. We're complete. It's completely clean. You know, in Wesley's mind, we're good to go. But what he didn't do is he didn't vacuum. He didn't dust anything. He didn't take the dirty laundry down to the washing machine, wash it, and then dry it, and then fold it and put it away, hang the clothes up. He didn't do that. He didn't actually make the bed so that it's prepared nicely. Like, he didn't clean it to that level. But it is clean, right? It is done. So my 12-year-old, on the other hand, if I ask her to clean her room, I have a very different expectation of her that some of those other things will get done because of her maturity, because of her age, because of her understanding, because I have taught her to do those things over the course of time. And while in Christ our unity is perfected and complete, we are not perfect and complete, and so we are still trying to attain a more perfect unity with one another in the body. Does that make sense to you this morning? And so we are striving for this unity. And I think unity is so incredibly important. Paul stresses it over and over and over again in this letter. And I think that part of the reason that unity is so important goes back to something we read, it seems like months ago, in chapter 3, where Paul says this is the purpose of the church. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the heavenly realms. You guys remember us having that conversation? Well, well look, what we're looking at, what, we're, what we were talking about then, is that what is being made made known to the heavenly realms is what God has done, what God is doing, how God is reconciling all things, how he's making all things new. And if we understand a a bigger timeline of where we are and can step out of our own individual lives into the scope of history for just a second, what we find is that when sin entered the world, it broke things. When sin entered the world, the chief thing that it broke was relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with nature, and our relationship with one another. All of those things were broken. And so when we find unity with one another, when we come together and are reconciled, we are declaring what Jesus did on the cross. Because in our unity, what we're saying is, my differences don't matter as much as what we have in common, which is Christ himself. The things that make me different from you, the things that set me apart from you, don't matter nearly as much as what Jesus has done for both of us. And so when we are attaining to unity, what this looks like is it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter what you've carried, what you've experienced. It doesn't matter the hardships. It doesn't matter your financial status. None of those things matter. We are brothers and sisters united in love together with one another because of what Christ has done. And so unity is incredibly important Because more than anything else, it declares that Jesus, what Jesus has accomplished, has broken the power of sin to divide us. 
And so we strive for unity. We grow up into unity. And one of the ways that we do that, one of the things that helps us to achieve that is the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, again, we have kind of the same problem here. Like, how can we call ourselves Christians if we don't know who God is, if we don't know who the Son of God is? In fact, the definition of being a Christ follower is that you recognize that Jesus Christ came to earth, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on a cross for you, was buried, raised to life three days later, and invites you into that life to follow him to that new life. Like, that's what defines us as Christians. So we have to know who Jesus is if we're going to call ourselves Christians, But it's like the first. I can know who Jesus is. And I can know what he's done. And I can have a personal relationship with him. But I will tell you, I was baptized when I was eight years old. And 30 years later, I know Jesus a whole lot more than I did eight years ago. In much more intimate ways. In much deeper ways. I've seen him work in much more powerful ways. And this is why this is so important, okay? Because when we know Jesus, when we recognize who he is, not not just knowing about him, although this is important as well, when we know about Jesus, when we understand his power, his glory, his majesty, his holiness, his righteousness, how incredibly awesome he is. I mean, when we imagine that, that if we were to draw the solar system out on a piece of paper to scale, the planets would be so small that you'd have to have a microscope to see them. And that is our solar system in the context of the galaxy that Jesus holds in his hand. When we understand how magnificent, how huge he is, when we know about him, it begins to give us perspective. And not only when we know about him, but when we know him personally, when he walks with us. And when you, when you get to talk to the creator of the universe and he talks back, when he answers your prayers, when, when you see him move, when he uses you to bring freedom to other people, when he uses you to bring healing to other people, when he uses you in that way, you begin to know God. And here's what happens. The more we know about God and the more we know God, the more our focus comes off of ourselves and off of each other and on to him. Imagine this. Imagine you're out in the mountains in Colorado at nighttime. What do you see? billions of stars, billions and billions and billions of stars. And if you study them a little bit, you can begin to name them. You know that this star is, is whatever it's called, and this is a planet, actually, uh, as it's moving, and that's actually an airplane. Um, but you know what those things are, right? Like, you know what they are. If you study them, you can identify them. What happens when the sun comes out? All you can see is the sun. You have no idea what's different about any of the stars. You have no idea where they are. You have no idea the movement of the constellations or the planet. You don't know because all you can see is the sun. And it's like that. As we grow in the knowledge of the Son of God, all we can see is the sun. And as we focus on him, it draws us together because our differences even more so fade away and blend into the background. And all we're focused on is Jesus and who he is and what he has done for us and for one another. This is why we attain to the knowledge of the Son of God. This is why we have Bible studies. This is why we have life groups. This is why we preach the word on Sunday morning to attain to the knowledge so that we can enter in deeper and deeper, more intimately and more intimately into relationship with God. This is why we're doing the Acts reading plan. Why we did Luke before that. Because the more we know of God and the more we know God, the more the focus comes off of us and onto him. And we are drawn together in unity. And as we do that, as we focus on God, we grow into maturity, to mature manhood. 
And Paul says that we should grow into such maturity that we should attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a lot of words. Here's what he's saying. Be like Christ. That we should attain to such maturity that we are like Christ. Now, in this context, Paul is saying this as a body of believers, as the church. The church should look like Christ. The church should act like Christ. The church should be like Christ. Not the individuals within it. But the implication is that the individuals within it are growing more to be like Christ, using the gifts that God has given them, because God has not given any one of us all of the gifts that he gave Jesus. We're not in, not, no one of us is going to be Jesus, right? But we all have gifts. We all have things that look like Jesus. We all can attain to be more like Jesus in the gifts that he's given us. And as we all use our gifts, the entire body is raised up to be like Christ. And so we attain to the fullness of the measure of Christ. And these are the attributes that Paul gives us of what it looks like to be an adult, in, in Christ, to be uh, adulting spiritually. This is what it looks like, but there's a warning that comes with this. And here's the warning, that if we don't do this, if we don't attain to these things, if we don't reach unity, if we don't attain to the knowledge of the Son of God, if we don't reach maturity, if we don't do these things, here's what's going to happen. We will be tossed, we will be like children, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Once again, there's a, a great picture of this that my son Wesley has provided for us this morning. Back around Thanksgiving, uh, my family and I, we went to Kansas, where we're from, and to see our extended family, to spend the holiday uh, Thanksgiving with them. We knew we weren't coming back uh, for Christmas this year, and so my mother-in-law uh, decided that she wanted to do something special for my children uh, uh, about the idea of Christmas, um, since they weren't going to be here for Christmas. And so she decided that it would be a good idea to take all four of my children to the store and let them choose their own Christmas presents. And so we did that. We went to the store, and they are running through the aisles going, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, like going crazy, right? And so at one point, my son Wesley found, became fixated really on this particular toy. And it was a toy from the movie Cars 3. It's a little racetrack with a little Lightning McQueen car on it, right? And so my son is fixated on this thing. And, and, and he's like, I want this. Nope, I really want this. And I, and I, I got down and I said, Wesley, like, are, are you sure? Like, you don't have any other, like, I don't think we even own a car in our, like, there's not a car in our house anymore. Like, nobody plays with cars. We don't have cars. We don't, like, this is not a thing that you normally play with. I, I really think that you should get something that you've been talking about for months, like the Batman thing over here, right? Um, and, and I'm trying to talk him out of, of this thing. But for whatever reason, he has been swayed by the packaging, by I, I don't know what. Like, something has just made him fixate on this thing, Right, And so he, he goes forward, and he picks this toy, and he gets this toy, and um, my mother-in-law purchases it for him. We take it home. He plays with it for five minutes. And now it's at Goodwill. I, it, like, he just, he, he doesn't care. He didn't, he didn't care about it at all. And he was swayed for some reason into something that was not going to be lasting, that was not actually what he wanted or what he desired. And, and, and I know that's a little bit lighthearted, but the truth is, is that if we are not careful... There are teachers who will proclaim what you want to hear. And they will tell you what you want to hear so that you will follow them, so that you will subscribe to them. And what you want to hear is not always consistent with the truth. 
right? Here's an example that's a little bit more serious. I grew up in a church that, that talked a lot about grace. They talked a lot about forgiveness, a lot about God's love for us. And all of those things were true. They, did, they didn't say anything untrue about who God was. But what they neglected to do was they neglected to talk about the wrath of God that is coming. See, we don't like to talk about that part. We don't like to talk about the part that God is holy, that he is so holy that, that no sin can be near him, that he can't be in sin, right? He, we, we forget to talk about the part that God is so righteous that we can't even comprehend it, and that one day there is judgment coming for those who are not covered by the blood of Jesus. We don't like to talk about the part where sin has a consequence, and my church didn't spend a lot of time talking about it. I mean, we talked about it occasionally, but we didn't spend a lot of time. And so at one point uh, in my uh, late teens, early 20s, I found myself being tempted with sin and, and thinking to myself, it's okay if I sin. I know that God's going to forgive me no matter what. That's a dangerous place to be. While that is true, that God is going to forgive me, there is a dangerous game to be played saying that, hey, I can manipulate God. I know the rules so I can get away with doing whatever I want to do. It is so critical that we understand the truth about who God is, that we understand the truth of knowing God, of being in a relationship with him. Because the rules, uh, like, it's not about following rules so that we can get away with something and get into heaven. That's not the point of all this. And so it is so critical that we are not deceived by that teaching, that we're not blown in, into some, uh, ran, you know, wrong thinking because of that. How many people are taken into cult-like systems or cult systems because they believed a false teaching? It is incredibly important that we understand the truth so that we're not blown about and tossed. And isn't this what it looks like to be an adult? I mean, isn't this the opposite? What Paul is writing here, isn't this the opposite of what you would call an adult? I mean, this decision that Michelle and I made about our house, we reasoned out the options, we considered the truth, we wrote out the budget, right? I didn't pretend like we have more money than we do, right? Like I actually put down the real numbers for things and accounted for the increases in cost to say, can we actually do this? Can we actually afford this? It's true math that we're doing. And we made a reasonable decision based on the truth, and now we were making decisions to continue you on that path. Isn't that what it is to be an adult, to make an adult decision? That's exactly what Paul is saying here, is that if you are not doing that, you will be blown back and forth and tossed about and deceived by everything that comes along. And so he's calling us to be adults, to know the truth, to consider what's right and what's true and what's good, and to pursue that and to stay on that course. Well, how do we do that? I mean, how, how can we possibly hope to do that? Rather than being deceived by everything that comes along, what he says is rather speaking the truth in love. Now, now we've got to pause for just a second here because the ESV has attempted here to take this phrase in Greek and put it into a, a language that, um, that makes sense to us, that is grammatically correct. But the actual literal translation of this phrase is not speaking the truth in love. The actual literal translation of this phrase is truthing in love. And that has a whole different connotation. Truthing in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Truthing in love is different than speaking in love. See, speaking in love is I just say it. 
It's all lip service. I can just speak it, and that's good. And it's important to speak the truth. It's important for us in this room, in our Bible studies, in CR, in our life groups, in those places. It's important for us to speak the truth because the truth needs to be known. We need to understand it. It's very critical that we do that, that we speak the truth. But it's not enough to just speak the truth. We have to live out the truth with our very lives, that everything about us, that every aspect of us reflects the fact that there is a God who loved us so much that even though every single one of us deserved to be separated from him from forever, no matter what we've done or haven't done, no matter how significant we think our sin is, every single one of us, Scripture says, deserves to be separated from God forever. And the truth is that he loved us so much that he gave us Jesus to die in our place so that we could have a relationship with him. And the truth is that he has called us into mission and given us gifts to proclaim that message to the world. So that everyone can know that there is a God who loves them, that there is freedom to be found, that there is hope to be found, that there are miracles to be experienced. The the truth is that we live that with our very lives. Every aspect, the way that we spend our money, the way that we spend our time, the things that we look at on the internet, the things, the movies that we watch, the people that we interact with, when we interact with our coworkers, when we interact with our friends, do our lives reflect the truth? Or are we just preaching at them? Does your life reflect the truth? Are you truthing? And by the way, the sentence doesn't stop at truthing. We are to grow up. It says in love. Truthing in love. And we cannot miss this point. Because far too many proclaimed Christians have gone out and proclaimed with self-righteousness, this is what God wants. This is what God wants you to do. This is what you have to do to please God. This is what you have to do in order to be right with God. And there is truth to be proclaimed. But look at Jesus' life. Because when Jesus encountered the sinners, when Jesus encountered the prostitutes, when Jesus encountered the tax collectors, when Jesus encountered the broken, he loved them. And he loved them well. And he spoke the truth, but he did it in a way that called them to say, I want to hear more. I want to know more about what it means to live truth. I want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus. I want to know more about what it means to be forgiven from this sin. I want to know more about it. And so often we are guilty of proclaiming a truth in a way that says, I don't want anything to do with that. But if we look at Jesus, he was gentle with the sinners. The only people he was harsh with are the religious leaders who were supposed to be leading the people to Jesus, but instead were making it difficult for them to come to him. So truthing in love looks like this. Every aspect of our lives reflects what God has done, who he is, and what he wants for the world. We proclaim that with our very lives. And when we do that, when we live out the truth in love, when we are truthing in love, here's what happens. Our very lives, our words, our actions, everything about us increases the knowledge of the Son of God and draws the focus to Jesus. When our lives reflect Jesus, then all men are drawn to Jesus. Our eyes are drawn to Jesus. And as our eyes are drawn to Jesus, we are drawn closer together because we don't see the differences anymore. We're drawn only to Jesus and we're drawn into unity and we grow up. And as we're drawn into unity, we find more maturity. And as we find more maturity, we greater reflect who God is with our lives. And as we greater reflect who God is with our lives, the knowledge of the Son of God increases. And as it increases, we're drawn into more unity. And this is how we grow up up. 
by living the truth in love every moment of every day with our whole lives.